One. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I am Turner, and I am in the studio with Rosie. What's up, Rosie? What's up? I don't even know what number this is. 130, 140, maybe. maybe. something like that, yeah. We were in the upper 130, so maybe we're at 140 now. Yeah. I can't keep track. <laughs> That's the kind of preparation you can expect <laughs> from us. <laughs> That's right. Uh, whatever number this is, it yeah. is. Uh, but uh, Rachel won't be with us tonight. Mm-hmm. She's um, unfortunately um, had family issues, Yeah, and she's with traveling with her family. So it's you and I yeah. holding down the fort, which yeah. we've done many times. What do you know, man? Hey, before that, um, I just want to play this. Okay. The schmuckers. <laughs> the schmuckers. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I need to isolate that so we can use it as a soundbite. All right, I'll send it to you. Uh, <laughs> I, How are you, baby? I'm doing good. And uh, again, I've been for people. My 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 new thing <laughs> is to try to get Turner to laugh like that, <laughs> completely unprepared um, for the podcast because apparently people like hearing us laugh and. <laughs> have fun and in particular you break down into tears from crying oh. so you're welcome there you go um what did you do last time that made me laugh so hard oh it's the leprechaun <laughs> 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 and i love that you put on twitter or no on uh telegram, telegram you put the picture that you showed me yeah of the leprechaun I the, face i put the shout out for a telegram yeah I posted the the full video uh, of the thing and then the remix of the song. Oh, oh the yeah. rap song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, did you know that a prison riot in 1985 on Spike Island near Cork, Ireland ended after a mother of a prisoner heard what was happening, came to the island, <laughs> and roared at her son through a megaphone after he had been on a roof for hours. Oh. It only took a few minutes of shouting, and the remaining prisoners came <laughs> down. So she ended an entire prison riot that had been going on. Um, like, And this was like it, it, an island with like murderers and stuff. Oh, it was a big... Uh, yeah, Ireland. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, just bring in the mom. The power of a mom. Can you imagine, though, like afterwards, you know, they were all like just razzing him. Like, probably, yeah. yeah. And he's like, look, man, you don't understand, man. <laughs> Is that your Irish? <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> that sounded Jamaican. It's me, mom. Me, mom. <laughs> it's me, mom. You don't understand. <laughs> She's a ravage. She got some She's a ravage beast, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds more South African. <laughs> uh, I'm not known for my accents. That's I used to be one of my greatest things that I am that it upsets me now that I have completely lost was the ability to do accents mm. very well. Like I could do. It was because I grew up overseas and had right. friends that were like different oh, places. like accents of other cultures. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So I could get down. Like I could do. You know, like four or five different British. Nice. You know, like the different kinds from different areas. I could do an Irish, a Scottish. Cockney. And they would actually sound different. South African, Dutch, German. Yeah. 
Australian, like all I could, I can't do anything now. Right now, any <laughs> like, I'm like, oh yeah, cr- crikey, like that's my British act. That's my British accent, and it. Like, but crikey's Australian. I know that's the joke. <laughs> it all just sounds not American. That is so funny, dude. Yeah. Well. Well, all right. Well, we got a great episode, so yeah. I would say sit back and grab a coffee <laughs> and enjoy with your mom. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Me mumsy, me mumsy wants me to be the podcast. <laughs> Aren't you Irish? <laughs> I'm Scottish. Oh, uh, whatever, same thing. Yeah, we got Scottish in me. <sighs> yeah, so... Uh, Give me a Guinness or shot of whiskey and I'll turn start, Scottish. Start picking a fight and <laughs> stealing money from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> We're going to talk about the Third Temple. Yeah. And this is a great... This is going to be... I think it's... I'm, I'm hopeful it's going to be inter, inter, definitely uh, interesting. Yeah, hopefully what, educational. Yeah, what's uh, you, you had joked like right before we were going to record that like it's been just lately. This is going to be the second episode that we came in, mm-hmm. completely going to do something completely different. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we just had some random conversation <laughs> when we were talking about like, oh, okay. We're going to do this. Oh, did you see this? And then all of a sudden it turned into something else. Right. Yeah. So obviously we take that as God wants us to talk about this instead of what we were going to do. Well, actually, here, maybe we should. I don't like. It's so weird because now I'm the only one that it's, I, I seem to be bringing this up more like our private podcast. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I was more reluctant to talk about it ever. Yeah. But. We are going to get back into, we're going through an amazing book called Jesus in the Talmud yeah. on our private podcasts. So if you want to hear our take on all of that. Um, We've got like the first four chapters that we've reviewed and read and, yeah, and gone over. Gone over. And it's a apologetic series and people really like it. So um, that's what we're missing. So in, we were going to do that. And now we're yeah. going to talk about the third temple. We were. We were going to, it's easy to do that because we basically read and talk. Like we read whatever's there and just talk about it. Um, yeah, add. the prep the prep is minimal for that, and it's it's. <laughs> Why more... do you keep making you keep making it sound like uh, it's a bad? We're trying to we're trying to get people to listen to it, not just think that we I'm do sorry. we do more than just read a book. Okay, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more to it. There is. <clears throat> Excuse me for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> there is. I um. Yeah, you just yeah. If you're on the private podcast, just listen to it. It's cool. And um, but we were gonna do that an episode of that today, and then we got this conversation rolling about the third temple a little bit. And what's interesting is like, so we you know we've talked about this before. We're pre mill dispies, mm-hmm. you know, as pre mill dispies, <laughs> as you would say, R- Rosie, as you would go. But uh, we do believe that proud of it. Yeah, we do believe that the rapture will occur, it's imminent, anytime before the Antichrist takes his position um, and power, and it could happen at any moment. 
And uh, one of the signs that's unclear about, um, so the timing of the rapture is unknown in Scripture, so it could be at any moment. It, there was a couple things that had to happen, but now that those have happened, it could be at any moment. But we know that um, certain things are s- supposed to happen after the rapture. Mm-hmm. This is one of those areas where it's not necessarily outlined in Scripture, um, whether or not the third temple, the building of the third temple is pre-rapture or after the rapture, um, they're not really clear. Mm -hmm. So it is something worth knowing a little bit about because we may see, we may have the opportunity to see the building of the third temple. Now, some um, people that hold to a premillennial rapture um, view, um, they believe that the Antichrist will actually give permission for the third temple to be built. He'll Mm. work out a peace plan and allow the Muslims to give them the space that they need. Because if you don't know, the Temple Mount area in Jerusalem right now is controlled by the Muslims. Even though Israel is controlled by its own sovereign nation of Israel, the Temple Mount area in like 1967, I believe it was, um, during the Six-Day War, it they and this is really the the Jewish people cannot stand um the leader of Israel at that time that actually gave the land yeah. to the Muslims it's like I forget the name of the person I'm it's, it's, was he assassinated uh no I don't I, know I don't know I can't I can't remember sorry, sorry not yeah. yeah but anyways and someone listening who knows will be they're yelling at their they're yelling <laughs> it out right now but um anyways when that war happened, the Six-Day War happened and Israel won, they basically forfeited the Temple Mount area to the Muslims. And so now the Muslims have built a mosque up on the Temple Mount. It's been there for a long time. The Dome of the Rock already was there. It was back from the Crusades' time. Um, Dome of the Rock is just a library. It's that golden dome that you always see in pictures yeah. of Israel. And so the belief is that the go- the Dome of the Rock is actually covering the area where the temple needs to be for the third for the Temple Mount on the Temple Mount. But um, it's probably not the case. A lot of research, archaeology around it, and they've they think that there's space next to the between the mosque and the and the temple and the and the uh, dome to put the temple and so um yeah i, I don't want to throw you on the spot but um what is uh the significance of the the actual temple mount like because there is some biblical history history of that exact spot why it's so important right? yeah so a jog through the old testament it starts with um abraham and mm-hmm. isaac when abraham goes to sacrifice isaac and um, if you remember the story, he's taking Isaac, and Isaac was about 33 years old when he took him to— 33. He was. But this is significant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that number is significant for another reason. But mm-hmm. obviously, yeah, the Illuminati. <laughs> Illuminati, not Illuminati, not Illuminati. Um, but uh, so anyways, Abraham and Isaac went to the temple. They went to what would be known as the Temple Mount area, and that's where he tied up um, Isaac— and he was going to sacrifice him to God. And if you remember when that happened in Genesis, the right as he was getting ready to kill him, the the Lord angel shows up and says, "Hey, stop!" And there was a a 
ram caught in the thickets. And so there was some sticker thorn bushes, thickets that were there on the mount area. And there was a ram that was caught in it. And that's what they used to sacrifice. And Abraham had been saying, the Lord himself will, prov- Lord will provide himself as a sacrifice mm-hmm. for a sacrifice. And so all of that was symbolic of... So Abraham's son, Isaac, his only son, right? He was the promised one that he Sarah could not, could not get pregnant, and through him would be the nations of, he would come all the, you know, all of the father of many nations. Mm-hmm. So without Isaac, there would be no 12 tribes. There wouldn't be anything. And, uh, and so you have him being willing to give him up to sacrifice him, and you have God providing the sacrifice so he doesn't have to through a ram, all of that's symbolic, and, and also Isaac being 33, the same age of Jesus when he went to the cross, mm-hmm. which is why the Illuminati steal that number yeah. and use it as a mockery. Um, and then you have uh, later on, after God provides a sacrifice, later on after the kingdom is now established, and David, the second king of Israel, uh, is he is looking for a place to build the temple. And... He uh, through because he commits the sin of counting the armies of Israel, um, the the soldiers, which he was told to do, um, and he was kind of talked into it. He didn't want to do it, but it was a sin in the eyes of God. And so God sends the angel of the Lord through, and he's just killing people. <laughs> and so um, of David's men of everybody, yeah, in Israel, yeah. yeah. And so uh, David goes to the Temple Mount area, which was there was a mill. Uh, mill there and he buys it from the farmer that's there and he the farmer was just going to give it to him and david's like no i'm not gonna i'm gonna pay you for this so that you can he goes far be it for me to to not sacrifice to the lord he does he buys the property and then he puts he commits a sacrifice there and the lord relents he stops his killing and so that's where he knows that that's going to be the place where the temple's going to be erected, and then he is not permitted to build the temple. So Solomon, who's next in line in the in, in the uh, royal lineage of Israel, uh, builds the temple, and he basically, David finances all the building mm-hmm. of the temple. So all of the wealth that he builds from defeating all of his enemies and bringing peace to Israel um, is given to Solomon, and Solomon then is approached by God at a young age and he asks him anything he wants and he says i would like wisdom to rule your people and god says because you didn't ask for wealth or fame or long life i'm going to give you all of those things mm-hmm. on top of the wisdom that you seek and uh solomon becomes known as the wisest man in the world uses the wealth um that david leaves him to amass even more like hundreds of times more and uh, and Solomon becomes the wisest king, makes Israel the wealthiest nation in that province, in that area, and he builds the temple. And when they dedicate the temple, then you have the Holy Spirit of God fall on the Temple Mount area in like a big fog, like a thick fog, to where they couldn't even do the service mm-hmm. because it was so thick. And so that was the that was the kind of the that's a jog through the old testament of the temple the temple then gets destroyed by the babylonians um it gets rebuilt when nehemiah ezra come back out of captivity and it's built not quite like the way solomon built it in fact there's a lot of problems with that they the old people who remembered it who were in captivity went into captivity after they'd been there for 70 years they remember it being much more glorious um and uh then the temple remains 
until you get to Herod in the New Testament with Jesus in his time frame. And Herod does a massive remodel of the Temple Mount. He expands the Temple Mount area from a, from probably like 10 acres to like 40 acres or something mm-hmm. like that. And he rebuilds walls and makes it much grander and more beautiful than it had, had been at any time prior. And then um, in 70 AD... After Jesus resurrects and ascends into heaven and the birth of the church in 70 A.D., we find that uh, that the temple is destroyed by Antichius uh, Epiphanes, yeah. and uh, he destroys the temple by desecrating it, by putting pig's blood on the altar, and then tearing it down. So 70 A.D. was the end of the temple. So scripturally, that's a jog through even the Old and into the New yeah. Testament and into post-New Testament where we get like... Um, Roman history, um, but they believe, we believe scripturally that through Daniel's writings and through Ezekiel, uh, well, Ezekiel gives us the description, oh, sure. but through Daniel's writings and through Paul's writings in Thessalonians, mm-hmm. we put those together to understand that there needs to be a third temple mm-hmm. at some point in history so that there can be what is called the abomination that causes desolation. Mm-hmm. And that would be where we believe that the Antichrist would enter into the temple after it's built, and he will pronounce himself to be God as an, and demand to be worshipped as an idol. And uh, the writings in Daniel, the Hebrew, actually points to some sort of idol and the way that it's written. And uh, we are told that the only thing preventing the Antichrist from doing that is the restrainer. The restrainer in Thessalonians this is where Paul talks about. Once the restrainer is removed, then the desolation that causes abomination can happen, and uh, or the abomination that causes yeah. desolation can happen. So the abomination is the Antichrist pronouncing himself to be God and demanding to be worshipped. The desolation is is that anybody who refuses will be killed. So the desolation is people fleeing, so that they will not have to suffer the consequences. So. That's a kind of like um, a real rough thousand foot view mm-hmm. of um, of what we believe. So the third temple needs to be built and constructed at some point. Now, will it happen before or after the rapture? I don't know. I kind of wouldn't mind having the opportunity to see it. <laughs> Not yeah. so much that I want to miss the rapture. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but you had found some really cool stuff when we were uh, looking through. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, we've been both on this kick, uh, especially just lately of going back to the church fathers. Yeah. Right. Spurred on by the great Ken Johnson. Yeah. It's yeah. just revitalized all this. Uh, and so the, I don't know, I, I kind of want to take a step back. Uh, so there, when this, uh, this idea of the third temple, this is like one of a, the main sticking points that uh, people use to make fun of uh, and bash uh, Protestant evangelical post. Uh, I'm sorry, pre mill. <laughs> I was going to say post mill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pre mill. Uh, pre mill, stupid pre mill dispies. And uh, a lot of it, this is where you say, like, all millennialism, there's no literal temple. You know, a lot of this or. Uh, the destruction, you know, all that stuff already happened or it's symbolic. And uh, so I just want to 
in uh, sorry and there's another point that people point at this in saying that like this is where the big eva um is tied into zionism mm-hmm. because you have a lot of evangelical protestants uh, big ones that are all you know pushing trips to israel and um and it's said in this snarky way that like the reason that the uh america because it's mostly a protestant country uh, for the most part you know like uh is definitely founded by well not going to get into that it's more of a protestant it's not a catholic it's not an orthodox country i'll just say it like that <laughs> is that you have this uniquely American um, raising up of Israel into the pulpit and all this stuff. And so they say it like, well, the reason that you guys actually only care about Israel is because you want there to be peace in the opportunity for the third temple specifically to be built so that the Antichrist can come in and do everything that he said. So it's said in this way that like it attacks us that the only reason, A, that we would support Israel is because we just basically are using them uh, as a means to fulfill our weird prophecy. You know, it's always said in this way. Yeah, yeah. Very um, dismissive and kind of Right, down. and again, this is where it comes into, well, Zionism hasn't been, hasn't been around for this long, all this stuff. And so it all gets tied into an attack on pre-mill dispensationalism. Yeah. So... All of that being said, I just want to read um, uh, a little bit, and this is from a actually a Catholic blog, and it's interesting how they talk about this because for mo- any people that are interested in reading a lot of uh, finding out more about the Church Fathers, I'm sure there are other great Protestant uh, authors out there who talk about the Church Fathers um, and the Antonician Fathers and just all of that uh, Christian history. Uh, Ken Johnson's the best one that I've, you know, that we found. Yeah. Um, that's why we promote it so much. But if anyone is interested in going into this, you're going to just run into so much orthodoxy, uh, big o Orthodox Church, Catholic Church, th- because they've been reading these guys forever. Yeah. Since the beginning. So I just want to read this little bit, um, which is just interesting. So it says, two things are worth pointing out. The Catholic and Orthodox churches have always viewed this prophecy as relating to the church, just as the heavenly city with 12 gates mentioned in Revelation describes not a literal city to be built, but the bride of Christ. This is a no-brainer. But then again, Protestant dispensationalists are not known for accepting (laughs) typological interpretations of Scripture, especially ones that glorify the church. Big C church, talking about the Catholic church. Second, we ought to realize that not even the rabbis who lived in the New Testament times and read Ezekiel in its original language understood this temple in a literal sense. Even they realized it was not a literal temper. Some fathers, like Christoph, I'm so bad with these all these Greek names, <laughs> right. uh, Christoph, Tom, whatever, and Jerome, agreed and asserted there would be no rebuilt temple. But... But the big there is but. no doctrinal reason why there could not be a third temple. A symbolic interpretation does not rule out a literal fulfillment. Some of the church fathers believe that the Jews would one day rebuild the temple. It says, however, Catholic tradition has always identified the rebuilt temple as a sign of the Antichrist. Yeah, that's what we do, too. So even when you start reading these like, like from a Catholic blog, they just crap on everything that we you know believe in this and then at the same time say 
yeah, we don't actually not really don't believe in it. And you guys are actually okay. Like it totally could happen. Right, right. <laughs> but that's not what tradition says. We should so, probably draw, like just a um, real quick like post mill yeah, view, ah mill view. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because the, those come into play with the because Catholics are, are post mill or ah mill, uh, some of them. In, um, they're not, yeah, pre, they're explicitly not pre-mill. Right, it yeah. is denounced. But, like, they would make a statement like they just said in this article where right. they're like, yeah, even though we don't, th- we think it's all, you know, allegory or w- whatever, it's not literal, but it doesn't rule out the fact that there could be a third temple, <laughs> you know. A literal third temple. A literal third temple. According to, if you actually follow doctrine. And and there's, prop- so, and then, so you have post-mill which, and this is a really bad definition. I'm sure I'll get raked through the coals because on YouTube people love to make comments. Yeah. Um, but post mill believe that you know the it's an ever expanding kingdom of God, which it is. I mean, Isaiah tells us that. Um, you know, in that it will eventually consume the earth, where God's rule and reign will consume the earth, and then they're just that will be it. And so the the millennial reign isn't a literal thousand year reign. It's just a figurative. Right. number church age right and sort of even though the church age has been going on for 2000 years already so <laughs> it's now doubled the millennial you know what i mean and um so we don't subscribe to a post mill view because we believe that there will be a literal millennial thousand year reign in that reign before that reign there'll be a third temple and then there will be a temple actually during the millennial reign mm-hmm. so that's kind of cool and um and then there'll be a that temple is described to us in Ezekiel, actually. Yeah. So we sh- that's probably good for people to know. Yeah. Catholics are post-mill or amill. Yeah. So a lot of the writings you're going to find about it from the early church fathers, the Catholics have already indoctrinated themselves right. in, in, their, in those articles. Yeah. But um, so here, all saying that Hippolytus uh, says, uh, drawing on from Irene, uh, Irenaeus, mm-hmm. here's some quotes. The Savior rose up and showed his holy flesh like a temple, and he, the Antichrist, will raise a temple of stone in Jerusalem. Uh, Origen said he is of the opinion that the Antichrist would raise a stone temple for the purpose of claiming divine worship. Again, they believe that the Antichrist would raise a temple for the purpose of claiming divine worship. Yeah. Um. Says there's this long quote that I, I won't go all read all of it, but it says Cyril of Jerusalem believes that the Antichrist rebuilt the temple for the purpose of convincing the Jews that he is Messiah. Aligns with us. Uh, Saint John of Damascus says uh, that the Antichrist will come to deify himself in a Jewish temple, and that this temple will have nothing to do with the true faith. Quote: Not our temple, but the Jew, but an old Jewish temple. For he will come not to us, but to the Jews, not for Christ or the things of Christ. Wherefore, he is called Antichrist. So, again, church fathers. Yeah. There are church fathers. Irenaeus, you know, uh, Hippolytus. Yeah. On heresy, you know, early, early guys. Always, you know, believe in a literal third temple. Right. And for the explicit reason that the Antichrist will come in proclaim himself God. Right. I actually had someone who disagreed 
with the with the um, early church fathers in their eschatology, mm. and he called them false disciples. He actually made a post on our Instagram. I privately messaged him, so I don't know if he's listening or not. But nice. I privately messaged him, and I was like, "Bro, false disciples." <laughs> the dude sat under the feet of. I mean, he literally Irenaeus literally remember he testifies he's met John and listened to John teach when he was a kid. Yeah, you know, um, it's kind of hard for me to imagine that um, he would be a false disciple. Right. Like, at the same time, you have other people. It's not like right. that these guys are in like the, they're lane. just coming out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, I, I was with John. Right. I was a disciple of Polycarp. And then all these people who were around Polycarp, because Polycarp didn't just only talk to John right. and, you know, Iron Hayes. Iron Hayes. Right. Like, there, other people were like, yeah, he learned under polycarp right under like, yeah. it's backed up so yeah, yeah. there I, there is good you know uh and what they're saying is right. affirming scripture so the what what when they talk about the third temple for the anti- purpose of the antichrist mm-hmm. that's daniel the abomination that causes desolation and jesus also refers to that right jesus and in matthew jesus talks about it right. and paul uh, gives us paul actually in first thessalonians second thessalonians he talks about that specifically, right. and he says, in my first letter, I wrote to you, explain all of these things, and then he goes into detail in his second letter. So, yeah. Um, so, just wanted to get that out of the way. Yeah. But I also uh, found this interesting article, uh, kind of talking about. Uh, he, he talked about the first temple being destroyed, then being rebuilt in the, as a second temple, and I found this little interesting thing that apparently you had not known about, yeah. uh, and I didn't before this. So I'm just going to read uh, a little uh, from this story. And the guy talks about it in first person. So this isn't me talking about it. But right. um, I recently discovered an extremely fascinating historical event I had never heard about. Apparently, there is a serious attempt to rebuild the Jewish temple in Jerusalem after it was destroyed in 70 AD. Not only that, but the attempt was thwarted. By an odd series of seemingly <laughs> cataclysmic events, such as fire bursting forth from the foundations, <laughs> along with a great earthquake preventing the workers from completing their work. The project was abandoned, and it says, <laughs> this is great, some accounts include assertions that the sign of the cross appeared in the sky as well as on the garments of the workers. <laughs> it says, This project was apparently initiated by the pagan emperor Julian, quote, the apostate, in AD 633. He's called the apostate because he was the first emperor post-Constantine to attempt to reestablish paganism in the Roman Empire. While Christianity had not yet been made the state religion, it retained the support of the Roman government. According to Christian sources, Julian apparently believed that the rebuilding of the temple would be the ultimate proof that Christianity was false, as Christ had predicted its destruction in Mark 13, Luke 21, etc. He therefore provided public funds for the project, which was apparently met with enthusiasm by many Jews. Julian's letter to the Jews doesn't explicitly state this, however. Hmm. Nonetheless, virtually all the Christian sources assert it. It says we we can never know what his exact motives were. It says we can find at least at least seven sources which attest to this event. They include pagan historians, 
various church fathers who were all alive in the year the event took place or shortly afterward. They speak of it as if it was broadly public knowledge and even appeal to living witnesses in Hmm. case anyone was skeptical. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. All the Christian sources interpreted the event as a vindication of Christianity and Christ's messianic identity. (laughs) The pagan source doesn't offer an interpretation of the event, but asserts it as fact without comment. But before sharing their event uh, accounts, I wish to present a possible explanation. Um, Perhaps the fire came from the ground, comes from pre-existing gas pockets rather than an act of God. <laughs> that it's, God would have planted there. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's it's dumb. Pre-existing. Um, well, let's just skip over that because uh, it's just saying that there's pockets of gas and underneath it. It doesn't necessarily, right. but whatever. Yeah. Um, and those things are irrelevant anyways. Like the fact that... The fact that, you know, that he might have seen a cross in the sky or they had crosses yeah. on their garments after they worked there. Yeah. Uh, th- those don't confirm. But the fire coming up off the ground to prohibit the building of it right. is significant. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, just the fact, even if it was gas that right. was released, that was left there from a rebuilding of the previous temple with the blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Science is fake and gay. Anyways, I don't <laughs> care. The whole thing is that God can use... There is a specific thing. Smuckers. It's smuckers. Smuckers. It was the smuckers. It was the smuckers. Even if there was a, like, logical explanation for how it happened, doesn't take away from the fact that it happened. Right. Like, just because (laughs) science is able to find an explanation of how it happened. Like, if they were able to figure out how... The Red Sea parted, and they're like, "Wow, technically, you know, the moon was in right. Gatorade, and you know, something happened, and the winds, and they did this." Even if they were able to, or tracking the, you know, the North Star, and they were able to, yeah. oh, you know, it was this star because of this and that and that. That doesn't take away from the fact that clearly there is an evil intention behind it, and I mean, it says with the explicit, you know, anti-Christian. Uh, reasoning yeah. behind building it to prove Christianity false. That sounds like something that God would um, move on, move on yeah. to make sure it doesn't happen. And also the reason that we're talking about this is because clearly from a pre-mill dispy view, that wasn't the right time to have a third temple rebuilt. Right. So if the only other time that a serious effort was put forth to rebuild the second, uh, the third temple, and it's not in line with God's plan. Maybe all these other things, like it, I just read that as more yeah. further proof that Timeline. Like, yeah. it's going to happen because it says we believe the Bible, and because there is going to be a third temple built. Yeah, I that, mean, because we believe in the desolation of, of abomination and the, right. the emergence of the lawless one, well, which is the Antichrist, and pr- pronounce himself to be God in the Holy of Holies. Right, but uh, there has to be a temple for all that to happen. Right, but even if you say that it doesn't line up with eschatology, Ezekiel talks about a future temple. Right. John talks about seeing a future temple. Right. There is going to be a temple, which now we're getting into the the thing, well, is that the third one or is that the fourth one? Which is the fourth is really the third one because the third one didn't happen. Right. The the Antichrist. Yeah. But there's going to be another temple is the whole point. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to read... Just uh, I'm going to pick the a pagan 
and then I'm going to read uh, maybe some shorter Christian accounts of this because this is just this is this is awesome. So this is from Amanius Amanius Marcellinius. The pagan event comes from Amanius Marcellinius, perhaps the preeminent pagan historian of the late Roman Empire. Edward Gibbon, in his classic Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire, described Marcellinius as a, quote, accurate and faithful guide who has composed the history of his own times without indulging the prejudices and passions which usually affect the mind of the contemporary. So even this guy is like the perfect guy to write it. Mm -hmm. So it says, here's his account. Julian the Apostate's desire to leave a monument to perpetuate the memory of his reign led him to think in particular of restoring at enormous expense the once magnificent temple at Jerusalem, which, after much bitter fighting during its siege, first by Vespian and then by Titus, had finally been stormed with great difficulty. Uh, Apuleius of Antioch, who had once governed Britain as the Praetorian Prefect's deputy, was in charge of this project. He set forth to work boldly, assisted by the governor of the province, but repeated an alarming outburst of fireballs <laughs> near the foundations made it impossible to approach the spot. Some of the workers were burnt to death, and the obstinate resistance of the fiery element caused the design to be abandoned. So this guy is saying not only are there fireballs that caught people on fire and killed them, they, they, there was fire keeping people from even going to approaching it. Approaching it, yeah. Approaching it. Um, <laughs> what does that remind you of? What story in the Bible? Hell? Meshach, Shedrach, oh, right, and Abednego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they start stoked up the fire. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, again, this guy that was called, you know, the preeminent, he is not making up fanciful stuff in contrary to what was the common way to do history. Yeah. This guy was different. Yeah. This, out of anyone, he's, they're saying, this is the guy to listen to about talking about an accurate event. So uh, here is from some Christians. The most succinct account comes from St. Saint Am Ambrose of Milan, the <laughs> Bishop of Milan, who played a key role in the conversion of St. Augustine, hmm. writing to the Emperor Theodosius in December 13, 388, Ambrose spoke of the events as if it was common knowledge. Have you not heard how, when Julian had ordered the Temple of Jerusalem rebuilt, those who were clearing the rubbish, clearing the rubbish were burned by fire from heaven? Are you not afraid that this will also happen now? In fact, you should have never given an order such as J Julian would have given. Um, hmm. So again, spoke like it was common. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Christophsostom. I, I, I always <laughs> mess up his name. Yeah. Uh, one of the more, more famous of the early church fathers, an archbishop of Constantinople. He said, he spoke of the event in one of his homilies on the Gospel of Matthew. And this guy was a, uh, alive for it too, both of these guys. Mm. Even in our generation, in the instance of him who surpassed all in ungodliness, I mean Julian, many strange things happened. Thus, when the Jews were attempting to raise up again the temple at Jerusalem, which is interesting that it says right here, 
when the Jews were attempting to raise mm -hmm. up again the temple at Jerusalem, fire burst out from the foundations and utterly hindered them all. And when both his treasurer and his uncle and his namesake made the sacred vessels the subject of their open insolence, the one was eaten with worms and gave up the ghost. The other burst <laughs> asunder in the mist. Gave up the ghost. I, I love, love that. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moreover, the fountains fall failing when sacrifices were made there and the entrance of the famine into the cities together with the emperor himself was a very great sign for it is usual with God to do such things when evils are multiplied and he sees his people, his own people afflicted and their adversaries greatly intoxicated with their dominion over them then to display his own power, which he did also in Persia with Richard. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so they tried to make a third tried, temple. They tried to make a third temple around three hundred and something A.D. Yep, and they were stopped by balls of fire. Goodness gracious, great! <laughs> maybe of that's fire. where the song came from. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. That's like a pretty hidden piece of history there. I've I had never heard of that before. Yeah, um, and even when I visited the Temple Mount, they didn't even mention that that yeah, story. You think they would talk about that? Well, I think it's. Well, didn't you say he was a pagan? He was. And so he oh. and he said something about like he kind of like hoodwinked the Jews into letting them build the temple by um Yeah, I I, I didn't sweet have sweet talking them or something. Yeah, I didn't have it. I totally can't find where that article is right now and I'm not gonna try to bring it up again. I thought I had it open. Um but yeah, it talks about how he had tricked them into thinking it was basically this super that he believed that like the God, he was totally a Gnostic pagan because he talks about the God of Israel. He affirms the God of Israel as being the most powerful God right. in the pantheon of, of gods. And he is the ultimate demiurge. He talks about it. Yeah, like he calls, that, calls God demiurge. demiurge. So, um, yeah. And then he was like, but I'm going to rebuild a temple. Right. Because he needs it. Yeah. To be worshipped or whatever. Right. Interesting. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty crazy to think about, you know, the fact that uh, they tried to build one mm -hmm. and it was stopped, even if it was a natural disaster. But I think it was God. Fireballs. Fireballs, man. Come on. Yeah. Like, it's not uncommon. Fireballs, fire from heaven. In Revelation, more fire from heaven. It's not going to be uncommon in that area, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Um, so I had some thoughts about the temple anyways. And this is some stuff that stemmed out of a conversation I had with a friend of mine this morning. And uh, just in, in – and you've said this before, Rosie, like the utter destruction of the temple in 70 AD was the ultimate, like, closing of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, you know. It was, it was exactly God not permitting them to have a sacrificial system anymore. And so the, the temple being removed – was really a confirmation of the establishment of the new covenant mm -hmm. where God would say, my temple dwells in, in believers now. Ephesians 1, I sealed you with, with my Holy Spirit. Corinthians says that you are the temple of God. Um, and in various places throughout Scripture, it talks about the church being indwelling with the Holy Spirit. And the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells within you. And this is the same Spirit, by the way, that would dwell in the holiest of holies mm -hmm. in the temple. And when Jesus did die on the cross, the 
the it says that the earth shook and that the curtain in the temple tore that separated the holy place from the most holy place so the most holy place would contain the ark of the covenant with you know Moses rod or with the tablets and Aaron's staff that budded and all these things and um some manna mm-hmm. and um probably a the quail rel- the, uh, the hot the holiest relics right right the things that showed God's provision and right. all of that stuff anyways when the temple when the t- earthquake happened and the and the the veil was torn it tore from top to bottom mm-hmm. and uh it was you know close to three stories tall so that would have been really hard for someone to right. to do that and here's the thing is most people don't realize you can't go behind that curtain unless you were like only once a year the high priest was permitted to go through there through that curtain and he would he would sprinkle blood on the altar to, for the forgiveness of sins and of all of the nation of Israel and it was you know Yom Kippur that was the day of atonement right and um because it was the holy place uh they would tie a rope around that priest and if God so chose he found something in that priest that wasn't dealt with or whatever, he would strike them down. They could actually retrieve the body by pulling the rope <laughs> and getting it back because no one could go back through there. Right. So when Jesus dies, that holy place, that most holy place was opened up. And this is why, this is, imp- so these are like my thoughts on this, and this is why it's important. So not only was God's, God, did God's presence leave the temple, I think it left the tearing of the veil was him leaving yeah um i agree and not only did that happen but the temple was eventually destroyed in 70 a.d so they couldn't even continue in temple sacrifice when they erect the new temple i believe that the antichrist and i have reasons for this will probably be a jew and this is my main reason for it there are certain commandments that there's like 600 commandments and i think Ken was telling us like 400 deal with the temple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And one of them is, is that if you're not a Jew, you cannot go past the temple court of the Gentiles, which is the outer court. So like you can't even get into the inner courts. Like there's so there's like a <laughs> an outside and then you go through a gate an inner an outer court which is on the outs just past the gate and then you have an inner court which is getting closer then you have the actual temple and then inside the temple you have the holy and then the most holy yeah and so like it's a progression mm-hmm. and fewer and fewer people can as you get closer and closer to the holy holies can get in a gentile will never be able to get past the outer court it will not be permitted right so the fact that the antichrist is going to go into the temple and pronounce himself to be god means that he would have to be a jew Right, because I mean, I mean, just to think about it, I, I always kind of like a, a. I think we both kind of think about how could something play out, right? Or, you know, like how nowadays, you know, we're thinking about what, what could the mark of the beast not being able to buy or sell? You know, could the blockchain do that? Blah, blah you know, all these kind of right. things. Right. Yeah. And to kind of take a just a practical kind of step is to back up to your point about the 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 Antichrist having to be a Jew to even be into the temple is when you think about the country of Israel, it is a, uh, it's a nationalist ethno state. Right. It's ruled by a people 
it's a group which I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that as a bad thing that's just what it's called it's an ethno state yeah yeah nothing wrong with that um that is Jewish and I mean they have it is run by the religion like it is the state religion so if a the antichrist is going to be a political leader mm-hmm. from probably not Israel like mm-hmm. or he might be but either way even more so if he was an Israeli Jew that is the prime minister or whatever that brings in peace uh, first of all he's not going to be a non-Jew <laughs> right <laughs> in, uh, in in the Israeli government that is not going to happen right right um, <laughs> and so if he is some sort of American or a Frenchman or a German or a Dutch or whatever it is right. some guy that brings all this speech fr- the French you know Macron um, just because he's this guy that brings, let me say, put an example of this. If Donald Trump was the Antichrist, right? Donald Trump, friend yeah. to the Jews, you know, they, they call him the, the, the first Jewish president, right? Yeah. But he's not Jewish. Cyrus, they called him. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. He's not Jewish. Right. Even if he brought peace to Israel, they would not let him into that temple. If it was built. Yeah, you're right. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. even someone... Like, they take it so seriously that that is, they don't care who it is. If right. it's the president of the United States, they're saying. Now, you know, if that president proved to be Jewish right. in his lineage somehow, right. then that might be the caveat. Right, right. So, but I'm just saying, like, if, if he's if a, a crone, total Gentile, right, yeah. it, it cannot happen. Yeah. So, sorry. Keep just going. based on the laws of the, you know, the, the laws that they have for the temple right. worship, you know, the, the orderly worship. But, um, so, th- so then... Also, too, when he goes in, he's not going to be killed, mm-hmm. right? He's not going to be killed. And the reason he won't be killed isn't because he's a Jew and he's permitted into that area. It's because the Shekinah glory of God does not rest in the temple any longer. And you brought up a really interesting point before the show, in case people didn't get that, because it took me a minute to put it together. Yeah. Is that when... Um, who was the guy that destroyed the... Oh, the, it was Ti- uh, Titus, I think it was. When Titus... When he killed the pig and poured the pig blood on the... On the temple, yeah. right? And he also... Didn't he have like an orgy? Probably. It, I remember reading that <laughs> he had... pretty bad. He had an orgies in the inner, the Holy of Holies. Oh, gosh. And again, took a non-kosher, a pig, killed it, put it blood on the altar, and he was not destroyed. Why? Because the Spirit of God did not dwell there. Yeah. God, the, the Shekinah glory of God, the Holy of Holies. Talk about with the, uh, the just it, it, why, why the reasoning behind that. What evidence do we have that just being in the presence of God might kill? Like, oh, yeah. Heart? So this is interesting. So it, historically, scripturally, when um, at one point when King David was uh, before uh, – I'm trying to remember timeline wise, but anyways, the 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 in a battle, the Philistines stole the uh, they stole the holy of holies. They stole the the ark of the covenant, and this is when it was still a tabernacle, though it wasn't a temple yet. And they placed the ark of the covenant with their false god Dagon was the main god. It's the fish god, and when they came out, like after one day, like Dagon was knocked over, so they put him back up. They put their false god back up and came out the next day. It was tipped over and the hands were like broken off of it. 
which is pretty interesting. There's probably mm-hmm. a study in that reason. The hands, there might be something there, you know, dealing with that deity. Um, and eventually it causes so much problem, so many problems. They, they, they were like, we don't, we don't know if we want this thing. <laughs> Take it back. And then David goes and rescues and gets it back. And as they're putting on a cart and they're coming back through to Jerusalem to put the, put the Ark of the Covenant back in the tabernacle, um, the cart shakes and the guy driving the cart reaches back and touches the Ark to steady it and it instantly kills him, like instantly kills him. At that moment, David realizes, oh, this is, this is holy, powerful. This is God's thing. We, so he gets all the priests. They do a big ceremony. They, they begin to carry the ark back to the city, and they take like seven steps, and they do a sacrifice, and they <laughs> do seven more. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. If you go back and read it, like I haven't read in a while, but um, this is off the top of my head. So the presence of God around his holy of holies and all of that is it, it's legit. It's a real thing. And it did exist at one time in the tabernacle. It did exist in the temple. Um, um, but when Jesus died and rose from the dead, it it was gone. Yeah. And so it won't be there again. So when the Antichrist goes in, the only way he's not going to get killed, and the only, and also, too, I'm kind of interested, like, if they're even going to be able to do Yom Kippur, mm. the Day of Atonement, and, like, what is it going to mean? Like, what's the point of even tying a rope around the priest? Because Jesus is the priest now, you know? <laughs> so... Right, he was the the final sacrifice. That's why. Right, because that's yeah. why they don't need a temple. That's why they don't have sacrifices. Right, right. Christ was the that, one sacrifice for all, for all of history. Right, for all the future and, and the past. That's and right. The future all, and the present, all of it at once. He stands as all for all eternity, once and for all. But um, but yeah. So that that means that uh, that's that would be the only way that that would. And I think that. So there's some other things too, like we talked about the red heifers, like we, mm-hmm. you and I were mentioning the red heifers, and um, and then also I want to talk about the DNA Cohen, mm-hmm. the Cohen DNA thing that you found. Um, but uh, I think that the red heifers, because the red heifers come from Texas, they just delivered five of them up. But I think that they're going to use CRISPR technology, some sort of gene splice, some kind yeah. of gene gene thing for these red heifers, because the red heifer is a miraculous event. And it would happen so that they could dedicate the temple, right? So why would God create? Well, explain the red heifers real quick because we haven't. I don't think we've ever talked about it in that. Yeah, um, I have a, a great post on in- our Instagram if you want to check it out. But basically, um, the red heifer was required for a cleansing. It was a cleansing ritual where they would sacrifice this red heifer and use the blood to both cleanse the temple and the priest, and then the, they would burn the whole thing up. And all the ashes would, would be used for, they would put the ashes in water with hyssop and they would use that for the priest and the blood. And all. it was just a, um, a whole ritual around it. And you can read about it. I think it's in Numbers 24, if I'm not mistaken. I'm probably mistaken, <laughs> but it's in Numbers. You can read about the red heifer and, and oh, it's 19. I think it's Numbers 19. But um, so that was what was needed. But it had to be, the red heifer had to be absolutely like, um, Almost in the same way that they would inspect the the lamb for sacrifice mm-hmm. for Passover, they would have a whole requirement of what this um, red heifer had to be like. There was absolutely no hair color on it at all that was white or gray or black. It was all red, like like red hair. 
every single hair follicle. And they inspect it with a a magnifying glass. They go through with a brush and a magnifying glass over every inch of this animal. And if they find one hair, disqualified. And so that's why it would be miraculous Mm -hmm. that it would be built, it would be that God would let it be born that way. I think because the temple isn't needed from God. The church, the belief, if you're a Christian, you are the temple of God. The Holy of Holies is within you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. The priest, the high priest that would go in and make atonement stands all day long, as you were just saying, like all day, every day for the rest of eternity on your behalf, standing before God, making the case for you to be forgiven, Mm -hmm. um, even though we don't deserve it. And you are sealed, Ephesians 1 says that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which means it, it's a seal of, a, of, of ownership marked by God that we now belong to God. And so when you put all these things together and you realize that that's where the Shekinah glory of it is, it dwells within the believer, the church, and inhabits the church, it's not going to be in that place. And so why would God in his, and he could, he could do this. He could he could choose to do this. It wouldn't be hard for him to make. So they need to be born in Israel. That red heifer needs to be born in Israel, and for him to let that happen, I just don't see it happening. That's why I think CRISPR technology or some kind of gene editing is going to be used from these red heifers that they delivered from Texas that were brought over. There was five of them brought over, and the requirement is it has to be born in Israel. That's part of you know born and raised in Israel. Right. So so those five aren't allowed to be used. Right. But they're hoping to breed them to breed them so that you actually have and i mean and you then, can have generations of cows every year so they're hoping you know within the lifetime of one of these five of these cows right. in some they way they just increase their odds tremendously right because there's five of them right right exactly you know? um but i don't think i think it's going to be really hard i think that's going to be a real hurdle right and uh Kind of in what we were talking about that with the whole idea um, that basically uh, – I'm I'm trying to think if I want to bring up the other example that led to this kind of thinking, and I I won't. But we were (laughs) were looking at this – that I the reason I've always heard it at church – this is what actually spurred on the conversation about this whole episode – was just because – again, we believe that there is going to be a third temple that the Antichrist is going to go into. I've always heard it preached in the kind of way that I described earlier of God, you know, this is why we have to be Zionists and mm-hmm. bless Israel. We'll be blessed if we bless them. And Right. And yeah. but this whole modern thing of so that they can build the temple because we need them to build the temple <laughs> so that the Antichrist can come in. That is true to some point, but it's always had this presupposition that that's something that God is actually going to, that he approves of in some sort of positive sense. In like, there's a difference between when uh, these visions or these uh, prophecies are, they're not even prophecies, they're, this is what's going to happen in the future. That doesn't mean that, like, it's a good thing. See, I, yeah. you know what I mean? That, like, God is going to bless it and let there be this red heifer. Like, that can happen, but it it is always kind of said in this – it's a very slight nuance that kind of hit me 
this evening where it's like, yeah, I don't know if God is like going to allow it more so like he's putting the pieces into place himself and he's moving in these ways rather than uh, allowing it to happen because it needs to happen. Right. So I, I don't. I mean, I think I 100% agree with you. And I also would add to that that I think the timing is what God holds himself right, to. Right, right. Exactly. What he is, you know, his own timeline, mm-hmm. which we don't always have access to. <laughs> Most of the time. I mean, obviously, it wasn't the time in 300 AD right. when they tried to rebuild it and fireballs came out of the ground to stop them, right? Right. So I doubt fireballs are going to come out of the ground when they try and build this the new third temple because exactly. it will be things will be removed so that God can will permit it to happen. Right. And just because God permits it to happen doesn't mean he promotes it. You know? Perfect. Yes, yes. I you know what that. I mean? It's like, and in, in Paul talks about that perfectly. He's like, you have God's perfect will and you have his permissive will. Mm-hmm. His permissive will is like, I'm letting this happen. It's not what I would ideally want you to do. Right. And I think that would be the situation. Mm-hmm. So that's why they probably will have to employ... CRISPR technology. I keep mm-hmm. saying CRISPR, but I don't know whatever what else to say. Yeah, I mean they've already made sheep. Yeah. you know the remember Dolly the sheep back in the 90s. Early, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. but um, you had found something too because the red heifer is part of the third temple, and then the priestly order is going to be necessary to, you know. Yeah, I had just in uh... the priestly order is it you know you had to descend from the line of Aaron the lineage of Aaron. Because mm-hmm. uh, he was established as the priest, and and then it converted from from the Aaronic to the Levites, and then it went from the Levites to for a short time it went from the Levites to the um, uh, uh, shoot what was the name of that? Um, it was a brief time. I'm trying to think. Hold on a second. I'll remember it in a minute. But then it went back. Levi. They were actually part of the Levites. It was a, a small clan of the Levites that was faithful to the Lord. Um, and uh, and then, they, oh man, this sucks. I hate when my mind goes out on me because <laughs> I was thinking about it earlier. Yeah. But you said that they found. Yeah. So uh, I was just reading this article um, about that has some quotes from. Uh, I'll just read this: the Temple Institute, as well as the Temple Mount in. Eretz Yisrael faithful movement are two main are the two main Jewish organizations responsible for making preparations for the third temple and the reinstatement of sacrificial sacrificial worship. So, if you're, uh, I'm just going to take a step back. Uh, we will hear, especially in pre-mill dispy circles, if you <laughs> l- listen to anything that has to do with prophecy, you know they call them prophecy watchers like Jan Markell or any of these people who do just break down everything. If you're interested, by the way, Jan Markell does a radio show every week. Yeah. It is amazing. It's just, she breaks down like the modern news. Love her. She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, And uh, she's a a Jewish convert from Jewish. So she really understands all the, that stuff. Um, But the whole thing that we keep waiting because you said basically there's a whole lot of things that had to happen that have already happened in between. Um, like basically we're waiting on the third temple and maybe people may not know this, that there's other things other than the physical temple just being built. Like they have to have certain 
the altar has to be built to a certain specifications. There has to be adornments built, crafted, that mm-hmm. are going to go in the temple. There's all these things that need to be in the temple. Those have all been built. All done. They're Everything. All... They are literally only waiting yeah. to start building the third temple. So that's when we start <laughs> talking about, you know, we're getting pretty close. We're getting pretty close. We're getting, yeah. Everything else is already built. So it says uh, Temple Institute, blah, blah, blah. Other organizations have plans too. One wants to pitch a tabernacle-style tent on the mount. Another wants to build a synagogue in one of the corners of the platform. Hmm. And it says, why? Because Chaim Richman, the director of the Temple Institute, states in his uh, this video series, buildings don't fall down from heaven. Uh, and he says, uh, it's a mitzvah to build the temple, citing Exodus 23.8, and that all Jews should be performing all 316 mitzvot, which requires a temple. Mm. So this is where it starts saying. He says that the third temple will bring the light back into the world. That's a capital L. And that, so, let me read this. That the third temple will bring the light back into the world that left the temple mount when the Lord's divine presence departed. So this is a a Jewish man who still understands that somehow. Yep. Understands the, that's exactly what we were talking about with the the veil split and Shekinah glory left. Moreover, he believes a temple will, quote, reconnect all of creation with one another. It is a holy temple that enables all of humanity to engage in direct, dynamic relationship with God and provides the opportunity for every individual to rise to our greatest potential. Whole lot of (laughs) theological problems there. Yeah. Um, Again, direct, dynamic relationship with God. We, We have that. Christians, mm-hmm. we have that. That's right. But you're understanding why it's so important for the Jews to have this back. So it says, uh, the golden menorah, the seven-branched candelabra, has been crafted along with the Levitical musical instruments, such as the silver tump- trumpets, lyres, and harps to worship the God, just as King David did 3,000 years ago from First Chronicles 23.5. And it says... The Temple Institute School is training a certified DNA-tested Cohen, <laughs> who are the descendants of the high priest Aaron, to perform the temple duties. Yep. So um, this article, I don't think this actually had a date on it, but that's how close we are. They are training and they've used, which we <laughs> we guessed about, you know, how are they going to, we talked about yeah. in the 144,000. Oh, how are they going to find all the... Uh, how are they going to find what tribe they're from? Right. Yeah. So they've already been doing <clears throat> Jewish... Um, DNA testing. DNA testing to find uh, the priesthood. So they want to define the Kohites or the Kohenites, which are the... Uh, they're like a subset of Levites. They're part of the Levite tribe. Because um, within tribes, you had families. And mm. so they were part of the Levite tribe. But um, man, the... the um, the uh, even still, if they find them, it's Christ is the priesthood, <laughs> right? But it's pretty cool how they were do, using the DNA testing. They they are using that DNA testing. Yeah, we predicted it, boy. We did. We predicted it. I didn't even know about that. That's cool. Um, anything else you want to? Yeah, I was trying to find. Um, 
Oh, here it is. Here it is. So at the same time, uh, um, I'll just uh, I'll just read this. Okay, go ahead. For years, the Temple Institute in Jerusalem has been preparing the implements and materials needed for a third temple. In 2015, they completed an altar. Oh yeah. Needed to restart the sacrifices, and they performed a reenactment of the Passover sacrifice. In 2017, they performed a sacrifice, an actual sacrifice, near the Temple Mount. It's at a controversial act that resulted in some being arrested. In 2018, they were given permission to perform a reenactment of the Passover sacrifice at the foot of the Temple Mount. So <laughs> in three years, they kept getting closer and closer. Um, and I mean, just from... I don't want to put any dates on it, but it seems like they're doing a reenactment. Then they're getting a little closer. Yep. And they're doing a real one. Now they're doing a reenactment. So the next one is probably going to be a real one. A real one. Hopefully. Somewhere really close to it. Yeah. Maybe um, they'll get up on the temple mount some at yeah. some point. But uh, I wanted to. Oh. Yeah. Read about that one with the the blood and the. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, here it is. So this is a, a news article about the last one. Yeah. So it says, Thursday's reenactment was full of snags. So this is the actual killing in 2017. Thursday's reenactment was full of snags. A, the electricity went out for more than two hours. <laughs> B, no famous rabbis attended in contrast to the previous ceremony, which was the... Uh, not a real sacrifice. Right. It was a reenactment. And this is the best part. The many liters of blood the priest had hoped to collect from the slaughtered lamb and splash on the altar ran out even before they reached the specially prepared vessels. So they're killing a lamb <laughs> and the blood not is enough. not even filling. It's not even making it to the containers that they're holding right underneath it. Wow. So... I just want to contrast, compare and contrast that is we're having sacrifices done again that it's supernatural things are happening to stop this from actually going power going out, power going out, leaders of blood, not like miraculously not doing what blood does, like running down an animal. If you've ever, if you ever bled out an animal, yeah, even a small one, there's a lot of blood. There's blood everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh... That failed attempt at rebuilding the temple before this sacrificial thing's actually happening. Again, God, you know, there, there's the the things that are happening um, prior to prior to the, the his actual that God is act actively. It seems I read these two things as God saying, "It's a little too close. We're not gonna not yet, uh, not yet. Mm-hmm. That's not in my timeline." Yep. Right and. Uh, so there you go. It's all about timeline, man. It is. You got to understand it. Daniel's seventy weeks. It's all about timing. Mm-hmm. Seven seventies, seventy sevens. I should say. Yeah, it's all about timing. Time, time, time. God has a time, and every person mm-hmm. has a time—a beginning and an end. And if you don't trust in the Lord, if you don't trust in Jesus, uh, your end will not be good. <laughs> I don't mean that lightly. Yeah. I mean in all seriousness that. Trusting in the the cross, the Passover Lamb of Jesus, uh, and His resurrection, 
for our sins to be forgiven uh, is essential. That's the only way to make it to heaven. And so uh, if you haven't done that, you need to do that. You need to turn to Jesus and trust in him for salvation. Just simply ask him to forgive you and cleanse you. It's that simple. He makes it simple. It's grace. He does. You don't deserve it, but he offers it to you. It's a free gift. So receive it. But, amen. Amen. There you, that's the yeah. gospel. There's and, nothing nothing else. You don't <laughs> you don't need to sacrifice your cat. No, no, no. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to Right. To do no any penance. kind of penance. Yeah. Ro- you know. Romans 10 tells us that if you confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ uh confess with your tongue believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And that's that simple. That's simple. Yeah. That God rose him from the dead. Uh, he lives today. Anyways, that was cool. I really enjoy the topic of the third temple. I love the fact that um, the DNA thing was kind of proven that we were on the track there. <laughs> that gives me great encouragement um, about our, our future predictions. But if you just think about stuff, it kind of plays out. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, this is all from our perspective of uh, imminent rapture that could happen at any moment and a pre-millennial uh, you know, uh, tribulational period. Mm-hmm. So, uh, maybe next time we'll talk about the millennial reign. There's some cool stuff about the millennial reign. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Maybe we'll talk about that at some, some point in the future. <laughs> we've got so many topics that like we've been meaning to do. Oh yeah. That I lose like, track. I don't even remember. And then all of a sudden it, uh, something like tonight happens where all of a sudden we're totally going to do something else and God need, I think God wanted us to talk yeah, about this. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I just want to give you permission to accept pre-mill dispensationalism. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Darby didn't invent it. It's no. not a Darby thing. It was Darby articulating something that the early church fathers had had laid out and that obviously Paul and John and Peter <laughs> believed in, yeah. you know, when they wrote uh first second Thessalonians and uh book of Revelation and all that, you know, they knew they knew these things, but uh Darby simply articulated it with he put he basically labeled a belief system that was already existing mm-hmm. that's all he did so it's not like he came up with it and um and i never believed that anyways but it's okay for you to believe it it's okay and you know if you're wrong if we're wrong what was the loss in it what's the the imminent the thought that the imminence of the rapture you know that's a doctrine like that it, that at any moment the rapture could occur what does that do to me it makes me want to live for christ more Mm-hmm. That's what it does for me. It doesn't make me want to brush off and say, oh, I'm going to be taken out of this place anyways, so it's not a big deal. No, it literally makes me understand that I could face the Lord at any moment, and how do I want to be living when I face him, right? <laughs> so that's the that's the kind of the, 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 the result of eminence, the doctrine of eminence. So, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to throw this other... Uh, this quote from okay. Saint John of Chrysostom, the, the one I yeah. uh, says, "If you knew how quickly people would forget you after your death, you would not seek in your life to please anyone but God." Mm. Just Amen. Going wrong with that. That man. That's a good quote. We should yeah. end it there. All right, guys. Until we see you next time. Love you. Peace.
Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. If you had a blast, then we'd love to have you back for another episode. So please subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Out War Podcast or on Twitter at AOWCast. These episodes are also available on YouTube unless they contain a little too much truth. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.